Welcome to Bible Prophecy Radio. Hi everybody, Albert Hardy here. I have a very special guest today I'd like to introduce to you, R.T. Byram. He's going to talk to us today about how to understand prophecy. This will be part one. I'll do a part two later on when he gets it recorded. But for now, here's R.T. Hi, welcome to another journey into the incredible truth of God's Word. You know, depending on your beliefs, you might ask, who is this God? Well, in simple terms, he is the creator of all things, he's the sustainer of all things, and he's the lawgiver for all things, and that includes you and me. Now, we have programs on YouTube and on throughthegatheringstorm.com that will give you more proof if you wish to pursue that further. I know that many, if not most of you, are believers in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But if you're still searching for the truth, then stay with us, for you may be ready to join those of us who do not fear the future. Are you aware that God chose to give mankind a spiritual compass or GPS? And that's short for God's prophetic scriptures. See, they're our guide through the broken pathways that we've created since the fall of man in the Garden of Eden. Sometimes, I wonder if we fully comprehend their meaning, the priceless value of their messages and their purpose in our lives. Well, this is going to be part one of a series on understanding prophecy, and we're going to begin by learning the true source of all prophecy, its inerrant accuracy, and why it is vital to make a major part of our Christian walk. How can anyone not be concerned with what the future holds? What comes next? Only those with their heads buried in the sand do not recognize that this world, this world is headed for a destructive climax. Will believers have to go through some of the prophesied horrors on the horizon And what should we be doing to prepare for the darkness before the dawn of the Messiah? How can we help friends, relatives, and others find Jesus before it's too late? Well, now the Middle East tension has been ramped up by the actions of the former administration's treaty with Iran and the sale of 20% of America's uranium to Russia. The world economy is teetering on the brink of collapse. In the meantime, amid the murdering of Christians by Islamic terrorists around the world, Pope Francis, during his tour of South America, concentrated much of his speech on global warming. The Argentinian Pope also attacked capitalism, calling it an unfettered pursuit of money, the dung of the devil, and said poor countries should not be reduced to being providers of raw material and cheap labor for developed countries. You know, a Vatican-owned telescope named Lucifer stands on a mountain in Arizona scanning the skies for alien invaders from space. Why is that? It can't be looking for Christ returning who will appear in the clouds just above the earth. So it's a question. Will millions of so-called faithful, not to mention the unsaved, ignore Jesus' prophetic warning against the appearance of a false Christ? Well, they will if Satan has his way. 
Do we as believers really know what is happening now and in the near future? Not if you depend on our socialistic-based media to address such questions. But these are the questions and the issues that Bible prophecy in this very book answers for us. And as we press on through the pages of the Bible searching for the answers, we must never forget that the purpose of Bible prophecy is not to frighten us, but to assure us that God is in control. It's in times of human uncertainty that we can rest assured we will have a sure word of prophecy. Look at me at 2 Peter 1.19 for proof, and let me read this to you. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. And you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. A light in a dark place. What does that mean to believers in prophecy? Well, listen to Luke twenty-one twenty-eight. When these things begin to take place, stand up, lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing nigh. And we need to grasp this truth. Only God can give true prophecy. You see, a prophet's message is not the product of human effort. I know many of you are familiar with 2 Peter 1, 20 through 21, which says, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. These verses indicate several specific details related to the revelation of God. And let's look at them one by one. First, prophecy is completely from God. No prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. Second, Prophecy is completely of God. Prophecy never had its origin in human will. Third, prophecy is communicated through God's prophets. Prophets, though human, spoke from God. And fourth, prophets were guided by God's Spirit. Prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. In every way, the Scripture makes clear that biblical prophecy is a work of God through the prophets of God to communicate God's message. But what is a prophet? Well, the first one mentioned in your Bible was Abram. He was chosen by God personally before receiving his new name, which we know now was Abraham. Recall with me now as I read from the often cited words that we find in Genesis 12, 1-3. The Lord said to Abram, Go out from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who treat you with contempt. With all the peoples on earth, they will be blessed through you. Did you hear the prophetic message about the nation of Israel that would not even exist for hundreds of years? 
And did you hear the blessings and cursings that have been coming to pass this very time as foretold? You see, Abraham did not choose to be a prophet. He was chosen by God. When Micah prophesied about the Messiah, that he would be born in Bethlehem in Judea, his exact message was spoken 700 years before that event, and that event came about just as he prophesied. Even the disciple Luke recalled how detailed was Zechariah's prophecy concerning Jesus' entry into Jerusalem on the day we now call Palm Sunday. Those, the disciples who were sent ahead, went and found events occurring just as Jesus had told them. Listen to this. As they were untying the colt, that's the colt of a donkey, its owner asked them, Why are you untying this colt? And they replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus and threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. What's so amazing about that? Can you imagine it? Luke was among those who became part of the fulfillment of that very prophecy. How would somebody 550 years before the event be able to describe what would happen in such detail? Let me explain. What is the significance of Jesus entering the city on a young donkey? Well, Jewish prophet Zechariah wrote this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem! Your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Let me repeat that astounding prophetic message. Listen to it. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem, your king is coming to you. He is just, and having salvation, he's lowly, and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. You see, donkeys were used for travel, and that was common during this time, but specifically referring to a colt, the foal of a donkey, demonstrates the supernatural accuracy of God's predictive prophecy. And amazingly, Zechariah penned these words around 730 B.C. Prophets can only be chosen by God. And yet through the centuries, and even now, men and women have claimed to be able to predict the future. Nostradamus, for instance, was a 16th century pharmacist who became involved in astrology and the occult and published books containing some 6,000 so-called prophecies. In spite of his work being proved mostly wrong, there are still those who believe in his prophetic forecasts, often twisting and interpreting them to fit the actual happenings. And by the way, many of his writings were simply restatements of the Bible and quotes from other works. So when it comes to predicting the future, mankind has a really poor record. The bold truth is, we simply have no way of knowing what's going to happen tomorrow, next week, next month, or next year. And by contrast, see, God knows the future, and he reveals glimpses of it in the Bible. So far, every single prediction that's been fulfilled has occurred exactly the way it was prophesied, the way God said it would. He has never been even slightly wrong. 
Now I want you to consider the percentage of prophecy to the Bible as a whole. See, it's been estimated that nearly a third of the Bible is considered authoritative and perfect. And it is. And the prophecies of the Bible make up a huge portion of God's revealed scripture. So would God have given so much emphasis on prophecy if it were not of such paramount importance to his children? Well, of course not. The uniqueness of God is expressed in the predictive nature of Bible prophecy. There's nothing like this in any other religion. Only the God of the Holy Bible can predict the future with perfect accuracy. Let me talk about that a minute. One mathematician calculated that the probability of only eight, eight of 300 prophecies about Jesus before his birth would come true exactly as prophesied. The rounded off number was one in 100 times 10 to the 17th power, or 100 quadrillion to one. But you know what? That's exactly what took place with all eight of them. Isaiah was inspired to write in chapter 46, and that was his verses 9 through 11. Let me turn to that. Isaiah 49, or 46 that was, 9 through 11. And he said, remember what happened long ago. For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and no one is like me. I declare the end from the beginning, and from long ago what is not yet done, saying, My plan will take place, and I will do my will. I call a bird of prey from the east, a man for my purpose, from a far country. Yes, I have spoken, and so I will also bring it about. I have planned it, and I will also do it. The most dramatic prophecies in the entire Bible point to the coming Messiah, Savior, who would both suffer and reign. And these ancient prophecies were so precisely fulfilled that there could be no doubt that they were pointing to the only one person who has ever lived in that way, Jesus of Nazareth. Luke 24, 44-45 says this, All things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. Christ himself then taught the disciples which Old Testament scriptures predicted his life and ministry. He opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. There are three major divisions of the Hebrew Bible. There's the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. And Jesus was specifically stating that the entire Old and New Testaments predicted the details of his life, his ministry, his death and resurrection, and even his return at the end of the age. You know, throughout the ministries of the early disciples, their preaching was filled with references to the Old Testament prophecies and their fulfillment in the person of Jesus Christ. And we're going to look at some of these in a few moments. In his second letter to Timothy, Paul called the scripture, God breathed. I want you to think about that just for a moment. Here we hold in our hands a book physically written and printed by the hand of man. But these words, these holy words, came from the very breath of God who made all things, including you and me. And that truth should make us tremble in awe when we open these pages And join our spirit with the Holy Spirit of God. We have just read where Peter taught that the prophets were controlled by God's spirit. 
And Jesus himself agreed with this high view of Scripture. As he said in Matthew 5, this is verses 17 through 18. Read with me. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law till everything is accomplished. Jesus was making it clear that his incarnation and ministry were fulfillments of the Old Testament writings. And he showed that the Old Testament authors were inspired by God and accurately spoke of his coming. So it's obvious that the Spirit of God is necessary for prophetic inspiration. Flowing from God by the Spirit, the word of the Lord was communicated to the prophet, and by the Spirit of the word, it was given to the people. And that was true then, and it's true now through the words in this book of books. And it's also obvious that only those who are believers and have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit are able to understand this book of books. The New Testament places its entire vindication on the facts that Jesus was the Messiah predicted in the Old Testament and that these predictions were conclusively fulfilled in Jesus' life and that their fulfillment proves that Christianity is both supernatural and credible. What a strange enigma. The people of the world often make fun of the supernatural. And yet when it comes to God, the supernatural completion of prophecy is what makes this Bible believable. Jesus himself repeatedly taught that these prophecies must be fulfilled. Under God's direction, he subjected himself completely to the master plan of God the Father, and he considered the details of his life and death as events that must take place, because they were written in the word of God. Now consider this. The purpose of messianic prophecy was to make the Messiah known after he had fulfilled the events foretold. And these prophecies, even today, serve as preparatory devices that signal his arrival. In following this line of truth, the apostles did what God's prophets had done for centuries. They pointed to the fulfillment of prophecy as the ultimate proof of the truthfulness of God's word. And in so doing, they urged their listeners to believe the whole message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, today, scoffers mock God and the Bible as right-wing fantasies without physical or scientific proof. And yet many, including the Jews who have found Christ and salvation, have done so after encountering the undeniable evidence of perfectly filled prophecy. Now let's look at some of the astounding examples that have no other explanation outside of supernatural interventions. These are prophecies that were fulfilled in the life of Christ. The Old Testament is filled with prophecies about the human race, the nation of Israel, and even church events in general. And the most important prophecies are those that point to the coming of Jesus Christ. These are not merely isolated proof facts. The whole Old Testament points the way to a coming future Messiah hundreds of years before the event takes place. 
and does so with unrivaled accuracy. From Genesis forward, it is written that God foretold these following things. The one who would come and defeat the devil would be born of a virgin. He would be a descendant of Abraham. He would be of the tribe of Judah. He would be an heir of King David. He would be born in Bethlehem. He would be declared the Son of God. And he would be rejected by his own people, be betrayed by a friend, and be resurrected after three days in the tomb. There are approximately 120 distinct Old Testament prophecies of the first coming of Christ, and they're scattered throughout the Bible. They individually and collectively form a picture of Jesus from the time of his birth through his death and his resurrection, and it can be clearly seen only after being fulfilled. And so, not until Jesus came did all these prophecies complete the picture of his first coming. And here is the undeniable proof of God, a prophecy of Jesus of the Bible and of the yet-to-be-fulfilled prophecy of the rapture and then his second coming. I want you to take a moment to visualize this. It's been calculated that the chances of all 120 of these prophecies being fulfilled to the letter in the life of one man is not one quadrillion, it's one chance in 84 followed by 131 zeros. We don't even have a word for that. Well, let me tell you about a Jewish man who became a Christian on the strength of what he learned by first reading a description of the Messiah in Isaiah 53, which you should read too. Louis Lapides grew up in a Jewish family in New Jersey, and during a time of reflection on his own spiritual journey, he realized that the description of the Messiah in Isaiah 53 fit perfectly the portrait of what he knew about Jesus of Nazareth. And today, once a Jew, he is now a Christian pastor, and his studies and life experiences have led him from skepticism regarding messianic prophecies concerning Jesus to personally embracing him as Messiah in his own life. In an interview, Lewis was asked if the prophecies were so obvious to you and pointed so unquestionably toward Jesus, why don't more Jews accept him as their Messiah? And he answered, in my case, I took the time to read them. Picture how mankind could be led to salvation through the prophecies if Christians like you and me would just share our excitement about such knowledge with unbelievers. In many cases, we undervalue the impact of the fulfilled prophecies regarding Jesus Christ because of our lack of study regarding how specifically the Bible has spoken. When our pastor spends as much time as 12 or more hours preparing sermons and lectures on prophecy, can we not spend three or four hours taking notes and delving into the word to prove all things like the Bereans? Is the unequaled privilege of hearing and understanding what is to come for the world and for us as believers nothing more than sifting through a Bible class or a sermon? In our study together, we will discover that Scripture has frequently spoken very specifically regarding many events 
both those fulfilled in the past as well as those that are yet to be fulfilled. And those future prophecies will be covered in part two of this series on understanding prophecies. If you think that 120 prophetic messages about the first coming were awesome, consider this. The accurate fulfillment of the prophecies of Christ's first coming points us to the very certainty that the 300 prophecies of his second coming will also be fulfilled. And because the prophecies relating to Christ's first coming have been fulfilled, literally, we can confidently expect the prophecies relating to his second coming will be fulfilled as literally. Stay tuned for the ride of your eternal life and be watching for part two of this series on understanding prophecy. And until next time, I'm Chaplain R.T. Byram asking God's blessing on you and on yours.